Welcome to Two Writers Talking Shit. I'm Melanie. And I'm Saeed. And we've got an amazing guest with us here today, Saeed. Who is it? It's you. Wait, are they coming? You're in the guest seat. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so our guest today, if they'll allow us to introduce them, is a celebrated queer playwright. Um, his works are produced all over the world. He's also my writing partner, um, my soulmate, my best friend. Please welcome to the pod, Bixby Elliott. Yay! Oh. We are hoping to get an air horn soon. I mean, oh, really? We will. We'll, we'll, yeah. oh. I mean, you can always put an air horn yeah. in yeah. editing, though. Yeah. yeah, of course. You can do so much in editing. We'll put four you... air horns for you. Yeah, for you. You deserve them. Now, Bixby, why don't you tell Saeed how we met? Please, I want to know this. Oh, Lord. Yeah. She loves to make me tell this story, but then she gets annoyed when I tell the story. I so. love that even more. Yeah. Okay, so here's the story. I live, so I'm from New York. I don't know if you said that. I'm a New Yorker. Nice. I'm here visiting. Um, But my partner is Paul Davis, and he's a casting director. And uh, Melanie was his intern at one time, or the office's intern at one time. And we had a holiday party. I believe it was a Christmas party. Maybe not. Um, We have a very small apartment, like very studio small apartment in the city. And um, it was a party with like 35 people packed into this studio. And at one point, in whisks Melanie Mm -hmm. and um, a friend of hers, they were dressed very chicly, much too chic for the party. Um, and she breezed in and I said, who was, no, no. I, she came in, she sort of looked around, she stayed for like three moments and then she whisked <laughs> out. And I turned to my husband and I said, who is that? And what? he goes, that's Melanie, my intern. I said, I hate her. <laughs> like, completely hated her. And then six months later, my husband and I were again walking down the street and uh, we run into a young woman and, a, and her friend and we sit there on the, the street corner and in New York, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you just talk for like 45 minutes yes. and you laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. Yes. And then these two young ladies leave and I turn to my husband and I say, who is that woman? And he says, that's Melanie, my intern. And I okay. said, oh my God, I love her. And he's like, you idiot. You hated her like six months ago. But, but honestly, it's... Um, uh, it's been a dream ever since. It really has. It really has. Now, Bixby doesn't remember this, but we actually... Okay, yeah, what's your side? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, no, my side is that it's like, I always knew who Bixby was because it was kind of like, you know, almost like like a celebrity type figure in, you know, theater circles in New York. Nice. And um, Absolutely not. <laughs> so, did you, say, so did you ever apply to go to grad school? I did. I didn't get in. Oh. Wait, okay, wait, which grad schools did you apply to? NYU... LMU, UCLA, uh-huh. USC. Uh-huh. Okay, well, mm-hmm. so I applied Such a to- a great <laughs> process, isn't it? <laughs> I just love it. It's the worst. Um, I was so confident when I did the, my application. And also it's like, I was like, what was I applying for? Like playwriting? Like you, like yes. anyone needs a, a fucking graduate degree in a playwriting? Master of, <coughs> a master in playwriting? of playwriting? <coughs> Someone like, in the table does uh, have a master's in playwriting. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. Yeah, I'll tell you how, you how much you don't need it. Uh, okay. Um, so I was so confident and I only applied to three places. I played, <laughs> I played, I applied, I played. <laughs> applied to Yale. Juilliard, and then as a safety backup, I said, just throw in NYU. Like, you wow. know what I mean? And then the very first rejection I got was from NYU. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, this, yeah, this, doesn't, very quick, this yes. doesn't look good for me. But I do know that Juilliard, um, I must have been in contention for a moment because Juilliard did invite me to a play reading of one of their current students. And I saw Bixby at the play mm-hmm. reading. He pretended to not know me. And I was like, Bixby, it's me. Your Paul's intern. <laughs> I was like, who? Yeah, he, he couldn't. He couldn't have been less interested. Well, there were more important people there. I was yeah. schmoozing with too. Um, the, that 
that play reading was one of the worst, one of the worst plays I've, I've ever, I've ever had to sit through. And that's saying a lot in New York. We go to a lot of plays. So was, I applied to Juilliard at least 17 times, still applying as it, as it were this year. Please take me, take me. Because the first year I applied, I got a little note that said, if we took five playwrights, you would have been the fifth. Oh, shit. Because they only uh, take four? Yeah, yeah. Four people, four people. <laughs> four people. But, um, but so I kept going back. But I saw a number of very bad plays in those reading series each year. Mm. But Melanie, the thing is, is did you ever ever get the invite to the, they used to do this weird, weird thing. They would not do interviews. They wouldn't like boil it down to 10 people. They would like boil it down to 10 people and they would invite you to come to this like end of year presentation. Uh And then they would say, make sure to see Chris and Marsha at the reception afterwards. And so it was this ridiculous like Hunger Games thing where you could see these like 10 playwrights like hovering around desperate to speak to Chris Durang and Marsha Norman. And Marsha, Marsha, wait, what's her last name? Marsha Norman? Oh my God. Yes, that's her name. Wow. It will be that for now. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really want to come to your school. <laughs> I yeah. don't know who runs it, but no. Um, but that was bizarre. Anyways. Yeah. So did, did you get into Juilliard? Uh, no, I did not get into well, Juilliard. So where, where did you end up getting in, Bixby? I went to Columbia University, okay. which I, mean, I applied to Yale. Another small school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I will say, like it, it has improved in stature over the years. When I went, it was still sort of like second tier, I think would be considered. But I applied to Yale, NYU, Juilliard, and Columbia, and I got in. So, so what, it, what, do you gracious. have an MFA in playwriting? I have a Master's of Fine Arts in playwriting. Nice. Yeah. Um, so tell us, it? like, how, what did you what did you take away from that program? Oh, I mean, I, I I took away <laughs> I took away a great deal of debt. No, so I had been working up until then, um, and I had a four hundred one k, and I literally drained my four hundred one k to pay for school because you don't want to take take out too much loans. But I did take up a little bit my second year, I think, and um, I ended up paying that off like for the next fifteen years, twenty years. Too? How much does grad school cost? Well, let me be clear. Yeah. Most uh, educational institutions are for-profit institutions. They are not called that, but like they, they are absolutely. Like my program went from four people the year I joined to the next year's class was 10. And no change. I wonder why. N- no change in faculty though, right? So yeah. no, none of their cost increase. They oh. just took seven more students and increased their, you know, their intake, their profit. How, how much does grad school cost? That's a great question. I wish I knew, but it must have been like <laughs> Fifty thousand yeah, dollars? I don't know. Like, so, it's two yeah, like years? twenty twenty four. It's actually it was three, but the third oh year God. you just um, did internships and stuff. So, so I, like I a, went back like to a, work. A hundred thousand so. dollars. Oh, I'm, easily sure. you could spend. No, no. Yeah. I'm, when I was there, it was like twenty five the first year, twenty five the second. But oh, then, okay. if like if you're not working or something like that, you probably will spend at least that in housing costs and stuff like that, right? Oh, right, right, right. So I mean. Now, so for people who might be thinking about getting their graduate degree, maybe not in playwriting, but let's say screenwriting, yeah. what, what advice would you offer them? It's really tough because like, I went in thinking that I was going to be like, this would be the place where I would find my people, right? And, mm-hmm. and actually the first semester, I remember I pulled together all the dramaturgs, all the playwrights, all the directors and had this meeting and was like, look, we have the chance to be like, you know, like the John Hausman class with Kevin Klein and, and you know, at yeah, Juilliard, yeah. who they, they went on to have a troop of actors, mm-hmm. right? And I was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to come together? And they were all like, um, we're not doing that. Right. <laughs> and I was like, oh. oh, shit. It was a real like wake up call for me. Yeah. Um, and then you... Um, how do I say this? You realize that a lot of people there are rich because it costs right. so much money yeah. and they're actually not that 
Good. Sure, they well. I wouldn't go that far, but maybe. Uh. Um, but you you also realize they're not necessarily definitely doing this thing with their life. Like I like created a great close association with one of the directors in the program who I thought, okay, this is going to be my lifeline, lot, uh, ooh, lifelong collaborator. And then he dropped out the second year and ended up going to law school and then ended up doing something else. And like now I, I have no idea what he's doing. He's a great guy. I love him. But like I didn't know that it was so, you know, I, I had drained my 401k to do this thing that was going to change my career. Right. right and right. not everybody is like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to me, that's the true thing about it is like, look, I think school is good. Like I went to, um, you know, college, got a screenwriting degree in college. Mm. Um, and I tried because just thinking like, okay, well, now let me get a master's degree since I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Um, but I do think I did learn from being in college. Now, as far as master's, what did you learn from the master's program that you do use now, if any? I think for me, I had studied acting in undergrad mm-hmm. and then become a writer. I started writing in between that and going to grad school. So for me, grad school seemed like the extension of what I, I had taken a class, I had taken some more classes, and then I was like, oh, what do you do next? You go to grad school. Yeah. So, And I had this dream, I was going to meet all these collaborators, and that did not pan out. What did pan out is, is I was able to... Um, I was able to see my work uh, evolve. I had a lot of time to write, right? I, I I wrote a lot. And then I made opportunities where I could see my work. And I did have a lot of people there to help me do that. There were actors, there were directors and things like that. But that is not embedded into the program. And had I not been slightly older, I would have missed that opportunity entirely, right? right? So I think I probably saw four or five shows, either shorter or longer, up on their feet in front of people during my career at uh, at Columbia, and I think my classmates had one opportunity. Like there was one embedded into the process, and so, and it was only because there were three of us in the program. Because one, there were four of us the first year. One of them dropped out. Three of us, and so because there were just three of us, there was extra money to do full length productions of our shows at the end for our thesis. So, I but they, they, they will they had not had that since I was there. So, did any kind of like professional. Opportunities come out of that, or like, did your professors, or like, did, is there any kind of like networking that sort of helps you get it? No. Oh, okay. No, mostly because so many people did not continue on. None of the writers that I know of in my year continued on. A couple of writers before or after me did. The biggest name, Bo Willimon, uh, he um, he was the year before me, or two years before me. I'm sorry, um, and he hated the program. Oh God! Now I'm really talking out of school. From my impression was that he really hated the program, okay. yeah. and so he—I uh, don't think he has. He's, he's not giving back to Columbia. Oh, so, okay. yeah. It, what's interesting about that too is like, I do believe that the ones who don't make it are the ones who stop somehow. Like, Wait, say that again. Though. So what I mean is like you were talking about how. In your class, the only ones that like kind of continue doing it is like yeah. you and yeah, or it was just like me, right? And, <laughs> and what I'm saying is, I share the same experience because I was in like this UCLA online TV program, mm. and there were a couple writers better than me 
but they stopped. Yeah. Like, you know, we'd be on Facebook and I see and it'd be like, okay, back to work or back to, I'm doing, and I'm just like, damn, you stopped, but I didn't stop. Right, right. And you didn't stop. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with people stopping, right? I of agree. course. But like, I just was under the impression that we'd all laid down a chunk of fucking cash to exactly. do this thing yeah. and that we all were in it for the long run. And, 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 and that was just my mistake. Like, I didn't yeah. know that, you know? So, and it makes sense. If school costs so much, yeah. like, you're going to have people who, I, people stop for a lot of different reasons, but whatever. So, yeah. Okay, so after getting this MFA in playwriting, uh, um, uh, you did actually sort of decide that what you wanted to do was transition into TV and film writing. I mean, I did. I did do. I it's, look. I. I, I I I wrote plays for a long time, probably longer than I should have, um, and pursued a career as a as a as a playwright. And I thought that's what I was going to do. You know, I thought that was where I was going to be. But then you quickly realize there's just absolutely no chance of making any money at all, and there's no chance of like anybody seeing your stuff. Right? Like mm-hmm. your best shot is a Broadway play, and even then, you know, it takes you know performance after performance to get to a million people. Whereas if you do a movie or a TV show, at least your shot of people seeing your work is stronger. But I did. Transition was that the question? I did transition. Yeah. Yes. So, what advice would you give playwrights who are looking to transition to TV and film writing? Um, learn the craft. I, I really think like um, it is different. It is different. What and do you it, think the biggest differences are? Story. I think as a playwright, you have. I would I would have said like two years ago I would have said the rules and I would have said plays have no rules, TV and film have rules, right? And that is true ish, right? But I think even plays need story and so but now today I would say it's story first right and so many playwrights including myself they want to do tone they want to do theme they want to do character they want to do everything else and if if you try to tell them that story matters to audiences they'll be like no it doesn't and it it does it's why we go to the theater it's why we go to movies it's why we go watch a television show it's because we want to see people doing something Mm -hmm. and we want to see them succeed and fail and succeed and fail until they get what they want right you know it's it's just it's like when it finally sunk in for me it was like a revelation and I was like oh my god now I know what everybody's talking about you know which doesn't mean you have to follow a formula. It doesn't mean you have to, um, uh, you know, not have character, not have environment, not have theme. It can't. It can be important. It can be all that. But we have to watch somebody doing something, you know, week after week. You know, yeah. and, and so many playwrights don't know how to do that, and they're not taught that. And that is what I would say. So, and then I would say just do it right. Mm-hmm. Like I. Um, I when I decided I wanted to transition, I was like, I do not know what I'm doing, and so I set myself a task, and I decided I was going to write six original pilots in six months. They didn't have to be good, nothing <laughs> at all, but that's what I was going to do. Right? That's dope, though. Right. So like boot camp, and it's boot camp. also like this will also we can talk about this later. But I'm like huge on like goals and accountability, so I decided that I was going to write a check. For five hundred dollars to Donald Trump's reelection campaign, <laughs> and I sent it to my friend who lived in Los Angeles. Her name's Wendy. And at the end of the month, by midnight my time, East Coast, if she did not receive it, she had to send the check in. Now, at the time, I did not have that kind of money. I don't really have that money now, and I definitely didn't have it to send to Donald Trump's reelection campaign. Hundred percent. But <laughs> yeah. that, that that's putting the fire under you, though. Absolutely. And then it yeah. became sort of fun because each month she would send me a video of like her burning the check, or like <laughs> we get to the point where the last one is like, you know, I think her husband ate the check and she videotaped it. And it was great because I would send a new check every month. So you wrote the six pilots. I did. They months. really sucked. 
Sorry. I think there was one of them that I, I kept and I worked on, which I think in the back of my mind was my goal. I was like, let's see if I can get one that's decent and then I can keep working on it. Yeah. But the other thing I learned is I figured out a way in which I can write a pilot and I can write it quickly. Mm. You know, I have friends who like they'll take a year or two years to write something, and yeah. that's just that's also I would say that to playwrights too. I would say if you're gonna get into TV and film, write quick, write quickly. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Bixby. You did sort of have two careers at the same time because you had a career as a thriving playwright with an MFA from Columbia, and then you also had this like full-on corporate career with a very <laughs> high-level job at Google. So, how did you do both of those things? Um, I worked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I do think this is a really interesting topic because. I used to be the person everybody would come to to talk about this, and now I have subsequently left my corporate job, and I don't have a day job, and it's incredible as well. But but the, I think there is a lot of like, I myself used to think, oh, I have this job, and I I you know if I were really serious about my career, I would quit it. If 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 I was really going to make this happen, I'll quit my job and I'll live in a car and I won't have any money. But but for me, I I grew up. Uh, I always say I grew up trailer trash in Florida. I was I was poor, and my, you know, it, yeah. it, I didn't have a lot of home security, and so not having a job and not having a weekly paycheck was like I was unable to create in those circumstances. So by having a job and knowing I was going to have money, it, it actually made me more creative and gave me more time. And I found that with a schedule, mm-hmm. I was able to actually do more. That's not doesn't work for everybody. I I understand that, but for me, I was able to um, say, okay, I'm going to write this play. I've got to work nine to five these days. So on Tuesdays, I'm going to work late that night, and then on Saturday, I'm going to write all day, kind of thing. And and for me, that was a very good formula. I know it's not everybody's deal. The other thing is is I think having my day job uh, gave me skills and confidence that I would never have gotten if I was just writing. So I know people think I'm cocky, but the <laughs> moment I have the opportunity to be a showrunner on a TV show, I know I will be an amazing showrunner. I have managed a team of 14 people, right. $22 billion project, not billion, I'm so sorry, <laughs> a $22 million dollar project. <laughs> it was still a lot of money, right? I understand how to communicate. I understand how to delegate tasks. I understand like the business side of it. And you know, having firsthand, like during the pandemic, listen to my partner, who's a casting director for, he, he did a network TV show during the pandemic, the showrunner was wildly unprepared to to do that role, you know. And unfortunately, like it's not a creative role, right? Like, yeah. yes, of course, writing the show is creative, but this this other part is about people, managing people. people. Yeah, yeah, writing yeah. is the least. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean and, and if you yes, so so like that's one thing. I all also like I presented in my job was um, I worked at Google and I worked for the research scientist organization and right. some of those people are like some of the most renowned research scientists in the world like uh, that I'm working with and you know I, I spoke with them on a daily basis I would I would present to large groups of people like all of these things gave me a confidence that I just did not have before that and so in many ways I'm very very grateful for particularly my time at Google um, but um, but but for all the corporate work I had or the jobs I had you know that being said <laughs> a year ago I uh, I I left my job and I I mean I had no idea 
what it felt like to wake up in the morning and do the thing that you want to do yeah. with your life every day. And I just, I think for the first two months, I was just like on cloud nine. I couldn't couldn't believe it. And um, and uh, I am very grateful for that. And it took a lot of hard work to get to that moment, but um, I I will do anything I can to keep it. Oh yeah. I definitely, I want to open up a conversation about having transparency, about having a job outside of, of, of writing, right? Because I think that there's a lot of shame around that. And I think it's something that people don't talk about enough. And the truth is, is that most people have to have a job outside of like TV writing For sure. or, I mean, definitely playwriting. Um, <laughs> without, you need to have like three other jobs outside of playwriting. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is that it's like, I think what a lot of people don't realize is like you can be working at really like almost like the highest level, right? It's like you can be working with like the top comedy producers in Hollywood. You can be developing a TV show with them. You can be pitching them and it's like and you are not making one dollar. Oh, not yes. even you're not even making 75 cents. You know, it's like even you can sell a TV show and not be making enough money to live. Because the truth is, is it will probably take six months for your contract to close. For sure. And then it's like, you know, you're getting these payments in increments. Uh, and, the, and they're being siphoned through, like, you know, your reps yeah. and uh, taxes. <laughs> if, you know, if you're, if you're not like, you know, if you're an individual and you don't have a company set up, that's a conversation for a different time. But it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're not making enough money to live even when you sell a TV show. So it's like, you really have to be, at, at at a level that you know I'm certainly not at yet you know yeah. to to not be able to need to not need other income or like you know if you don't have a spouse who's the breadwinner or you don't have like a family yeah. member supporting you like you really have to have something else going on so I never had a corporate job before I never had like really mm. any kind of real job um <laughs> And then two years ago, I got my very first corporate job working at a startup. And I won't say too much about it because I'm still working there. Um, <laughs> and in the beginning, it felt like I felt like, oh, it's like role play. You know what I mean? Because it's like yeah. I had only I had seen like, you know, the office. Um, <laughs> yeah. I felt like, oh, I'm like cosplaying like a corporate person. And I was just like, and I, and I like, I always knew, I had always heard like, oh, it's going to, you know, it's going to suck the soul out of you. And like, you know, you're going to just be an empty shell of a person. And I said, not me, you know, I'm not like other people. And then one day it happened, you know, it happened to me. Uh, and I'm still like myself trying to figure out a way to kind of like push through that and like have time to be creative and like, you know, cultivate my inner garden or even like live a life outside of my computer. Did so you that- say cultivate your inner garden? Yeah, I did. Yeah, my Is that drop. a thing? Is my that a drop. thing? I've never heard of that. That was a beautiful thing. Yeah. But no, are you, I, what are you growing in that? Yeah. I, I agree though. I do think like I worked retail a shitty retail job and uh tell, tell us about that. Um it was a shitty retail job at a at a record store. <laughs> ah. And it, this is like good two years ago. So, record store in San Francisco? Uh, it, it was in Berkeley. I don't want to oh, say the name. Okay. But, but, I didn't know record it, store existed anymore. But and, of course, at Berkeley, they do. Exactly. But that's my point, yeah. though, right? Yeah. So you're, I remember one day my boss was like, you know you're stepping into a dinosaur. And I was like, oh, shit, I got to get me another job. But I didn't. <laughs> but I stayed there to the very end mm. like you. And I do think if you're an upcoming writer out there and you're listening to this, it's okay to have a job. And pursue this. You don't have to like this idea of like, I'm just going to live out of my fucking car and park in front of Paramount. 
Like you know what I'm saying? You can have or, it. Or, or or lie about it too. Like I, there are these people who are like I, I don't I forget who it was, but they were like they clearly had another job. They had a job, and they would be like. I'd be like, how do you make money? Oh, I just, you know, it's like, I saw, oh. I'm like, wait, what was that? What did you just <laughs> yeah. say? Because she, she clearly didn't want people to think she had another job. But yeah. I think people have to like, you have to embrace it for two yeah. reasons, I think. It's because there's no shame in it, right? You have to make money. But also, I, I think this fallacy of like, there are a lot of people, especially in the playwriting in the theater world who are funded by like a magic credit card from their family, which yeah. more power to them. I'm glad of it. But like, the, it should be clear to people that that's what you need to do in order to have a life in the theater. Yeah. That you you will never, until you reach the upper echelons, be making enough money in theater in order to not have a job. And period. even even when you're there, you're making money because you're working on a TV show. Probably, you most know? likely. Yes, um, yes. Which there used to be a lot of shame about that. Thank goodness that's a bit gone. We're yeah. like, oh my God, you wrote for a TV show. Now you want to be a playwright? No, that's fine. Um, I, I hope nobody hears this, but um, and I don't care anymore, actually. No, but I used was, to be like Mr. Theater. Like, and you'd look my name up in the dictionary, and I theater up in the dictionary, and my picture would be photo? there. Yes. And now I've just I've become pretty disillusioned, unfortunately. But And also because like theater and TV, there's like, um, there is an openness that it doesn't feel like is in theater. It's like film and TV, it feels like still a place where a great idea can get you somewhere or a great script can get you somewhere. Like, like look at the guy, you know, I don't know the actual story about the guy who wrote Severance, but from the sound of it, it sounds like he wrote a great script and somebody found it and now it's a great TV show. Also, I never, like, before working at a corporate job, I don't know that Severance would have hit me the same way. <laughs> like watching Severance, I literally was like, "This is a masterpiece." No, the, I, I had days where I would just be like, "Please lobotomize me." Yeah, of course. Yes, I'm yes. looking at the clock and it's twelve, and I got I don't get off till six, and I'm no. just dusting DVDs. Yeah, I think also it's like people should know that it's like your job that you do so that you can live and you can pay your rent and your health insurance. It's like, that doesn't define you. You can still, when you meet people, you can still say, I'm a writer. You don't have to say, oh, uh, well, I'm a writer, but I I work at this corporate job or I'm a writer, but I work at this record. You don't need to, you can just say, I'm a writer. No, I think the thing that some people do that is, uh, that I never thought about or really like clued into was they they match that day job with with their passion right like I have a friend who when I was sort of like thinking about taking on new work she 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 was like you know it's you, you I, I want to find things that fuel my soul as well even if it's my day job and I was like oh yeah that makes sense but I, I never did that so that's one way to go too is like yeah. to find something that's like aligned with your values or your you will we won't feel like it's sucking your soul every day so it's totally. a good point yeah, no, yeah for sure for sure and also it's like you can be innovative about how you approach it oh, like yeah. I have <laughs> one job uh, where I'm I'm on kept on retainer to write TikToks because people actually love that brands and companies love this idea of like we have a screenwriter on staff who yeah. writes our TikToks yeah, of course. so listen it's a great job it's really fun and it's like it, I am passionate about it. Um, okay, but so big screen. Let's Wait, talk. Can we, yes, so, can we talk about this for just a second? It's yes. a slight detour. Yeah. But you guys, you, this site Upwork, it's like for freelancers, and you go on, and people are looking for people to do jobs and stuff like yeah. that. So I was like recently, like let, let's let's check this out. So there are so many. So you type in writer or like ghostwriter stuff. There's so many people on there that want somebody to write. A twenty thousand or thirty thousand word romance novel. It's always romance, like wow. hundreds of these posts. I'm not exaggerating, yeah. and they wanted you to do it for two hundred dollars. <laughs> like, That's wow. But <laughs> excuse me, it's like 
what? Like, yeah. the, like the devaluation of writers on that platform is incredible. But then I actually, like, I was like, okay, I'm going to test this because there are a couple people who want you to write a screenplay or something like that. Yeah. And they seemed like reasonable about what they might pay you. And so I like put a proposal in for a couple of them. And this one guy, he, he, he reached out to me and he sent me a short film to watch. And then we had a phone call. And he was like, he said to me, do you agree? He was Austrian or something. <laughs> Do you agree that there are more great ideas than there are great writers in the world? And I was like, I don't know what that question means. Right. Like, yeah, I guess. Like, yeah, because anybody can have an idea. Right. But what's so interesting is, is that these people that have these great ideas, they think that is the more important part right. of it than the actual writing. And I, I actually disagree. I think Me there too. are millions of, and maybe this was his point, I don't know. It was a bizarre call. Um, maybe his his point. My point is is that there are there are thousands and thousands of ideas out 100%. there. But to sit down and put a pen on a piece of paper or type it out, it's that that's the work, right? 100%. And not many people will do that. Not many people will. No. Now, what skills from your corporate life do you use and incorporate into your creative writing life? I mean. I would say that they aren't actually creative skills, right? But they are things that help me get the creative work done. So, uh, like, I think um, having a rigid schedule that I write, um, having deadlines, um, uh, I think, like, when I am working on a project with people, I'm often, like, the person, like, setting up the meeting and, like, making sure we have an agenda and all of that stuff. So I, I do have a sort of, like, or people at least call me on this sort of like businessy type of way I navigate the creative space, which I now it just comes so secondhand to me that I I don't even think about it. But like, you know, somebody's like, hey, should we get together and think about this idea? And two seconds later, they've got a calendar invite on their calendar and then a Word doc that they've been shared with them with an agenda, which is just how I work now because of. Like Google is a very intense place, folks. Like I had no idea when I walked in there, but you knew it's a it's a culture that teaches you how to work. So I, I, I pulled those ideas. Do do I think I took any like creative skills? I don't know. Probably I, I'm not quite sure, but yeah. But so, then the other things that are more intangible, like leadership skills, yeah. confidence, like things like that. I in spades, I, I got from them for sure. Yeah, and also the idea of like. Um, uh, being the best person I possibly can be. Like mm-hmm. I sat down my first day of job, and this person over here, like, spent two years, like, you know, uh, working in a village, uh, you know, digging water wells, and this person over here danced with the Joffrey, Joffrey Ballet, and like everybody was just so, so impressive and so smart. And I just was like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to be just as impressive as they are. So That's I tough. tried to do that in many ways. I'm a terrible procrastinator. Do you procrastinate, Said? Uh, not much. Really? Really? Not much. Are wow. you very like regimented? Are you very organized? I'm much like you though, where like I'm all about Google Google calendars, breaking stuff up into like small achievable goals. So mm-hmm. I like most of the time when you're talking, I'm like I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And and also I'm working on multiple things at one time. So yeah. if one gets stale, then I move to the other one. I can also be a gigantic procrastinator. Mm. I think it was more in my like. Non-writing stuff, like I, I find that I'm less so when it's something I truly, truly care about. Mm. But my, I had teammates who used to call me a high-functioning procrastinator because oh, wow. they actually thought it was the way I worked most effectively if I left it to the very end. 
But sometimes I do that in my writing. Yeah, like, I mean, Brooklyn- that's a very writerly quality to be like procrastinate, procrastinate, procrastinate. There's there's someone that we both know from the theater who is a ext- extremely you know high level in the theater, and it's like mm. it's as if they can only produce in those final hours when the clock is ticking. It's literally like the draft needs to be in at 10 a.m. and they're up all night, and you know they've had months to write it, and it's like in those hours. But it's like I would say that's not preferable to have no. to work that way. I used to convince myself that sometimes it was that like when I do, I used to run this thing called Brooklyn Generator with my friend Aaron Mallon where basically it was six playwrights uh, and a, a season and you each had a month and you would start to write a play at the beginning of the month and you do a public reading at the end and I used to literally put it off to the last three days before my reading and I used to say oh I'm thinking about the play the entire month mm-hmm. and then it just mm-hmm. comes out I don't know if that's true or not but I can see that maybe some people are like that you know? well I'll say this my pro is research procrastination. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, so I have a research. <laughs> I, I mean, I think yeah. I think sometimes it can be. I don't know. Yeah. I th- I think if you get it done by the original deadline, it's not procrastination. Uh, me too. I agree. You know, I however agree. it takes to get it done. I, I'm I'm teaching a class right now that is called uh, finish the draft, and for some reason, everybody was lit up on fire for this class because. Because I think people have a hard time finishing, but the most interesting part of it has been watching how people talk themselves out of finishing something, right? Meeting that deadline, and it's just, um, I'm actually really, really grateful for the experience because it's, it's, um, it's helping me at the same time I'm helping them, but it, it is funny. Like you'll, you'll, they'll, uh, At the beginning of the first class, we sit, do goal setting, right? Mm-hmm. And it's all around finishing the draft. And, and it's interesting because by taking the class, they've already made that commitment in many ways, right? right? But that first class, we were setting goals, and like one of the writers was like, I, I, I commit to finishing a draft that's... And I was like, okay, let's get specific. How many pages is it going to be? Um, 40 pages. I was like, is your play really going to be 40 pages long? Is that why are you doing that? And she's like, I don't know. Maybe I won't get to 60. And I was like, okay, that's interesting, you know? So, so but. okay, so for finish the draft, I mean, because your sort of like special secret skill is accountability. So if somebody wanted to take your finish the draft class or they wanted to work with you one on one, what's the best way for them to find out more about that? BixbyElliott.com. That's B I X B Y E L L I O T.com. Okay, that's amazing. But there, yeah, there's a section on there that says, uh, Classes or finish the draft, and they can find out. Because I do, um, we'll do classes, and I have a new session starting. I think it's the 18th of April. That'll come out. That announcement will come out this week. And then I also do one-on-one coaching as well. And if you have large groups of people, I've also done like a 90-minute workshop for like 100 people on Zoom, which was oh really fun God, too. I know. Yeah, amazing. they were not. They were like. Um, they were what's the what's the word creativepreneurs? There's, there's a word for that. Like the mm. people who are like entrepreneurs in the creative space, not necessarily yeah. writers, but they all want to write books. And That's so right. we talked to them about like ways to achieve those goals. So okay, are there any writing books classes or workshops that you recommend? Um, you know, if you're a playwright, I love Amy Berryman. She's here in Los Angeles, and she's fantastic. She just had a play produced in London uh, during the pandemic. That is, I, I, I don't know if it's officially announced, so I'm not officially announcing it, but maybe going to Broadway this year, um, or next year, rather. Um, but she teaches a great class, especially um, for actors who want to be playwrights, mm. which is really cool, so I'd yeah. recommend that. And then my... F- mm, uh, I'm not going to say my favorite. The book that I'm rereading now that I really like is Stephen King's book. It's called On Writing. Which Fire. Sounds, oh, yeah, man. you've read it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. That, that, that book helped me. 
Yeah, it's like yeah. it's the least likely person you'd think, right? And and it's got like a mix of like inspiring things, like yeah. uh, like he wrote. I don't know, like, was it 90 pages of Carrie yeah. and then threw it in the trash? Yeah. His wife picked it out of the trash the next day and said, you should keep writing this. And that was the book that hit, right? Oh yeah. And then, um, and then like very practical stuff. Like he talks, it's for more like fiction writers, but he talks a lot about like grammar and adverbs and like paragraphs and things like that for a section. But then, you know, he, he talks a lot about just, you just have to sit down and do it, right? Yeah. You know? Okay, now Bixby, what are you watching or what have you watched recently or what have you listened to that you really love? So it can be a TV show, film, podcast. Um, I'm really watching TikTok. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you heard of TikTok? Never. Oh my gosh, you should check it out. It's very interesting. I really am obsessed with TikTok lately and I'm not sure why. Mm. Um, it's designed that way. Well, it is designed that way, but there is a, there's starting to be more creativity on there too, mm, right? It's okay. a, it's a less about, like, well, no, it's not less about. There is, of course, always like, you know, who the influencers and what they're doing and stuff. But like, you'll see people, it's, I think it started this way, but like comedians really working stuff out and doing skip skits and things like that. But now I think people are, you'll see them doing like longer form stuff or, or, or a character that you see over and over. And you could see like, oh, that could be a TV show maybe, you know? Mm, so I'm kind of interested in, what might happen there? I mean, let's face it; the kids are watching that. Oh yeah, right. Like oh. this is this is the future of the world. I'm, yes. And I am the oldest person in this room, and probably the oldest person listening to this podcast. Uh, so I should not talk about what's going to happen in the future. But it is interesting to me. So yeah. Um, but conventional television, traditional television, I'm watching. Um, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, of course. I mean, fine television. And uh, The Last of Us, we started watching that, yeah. And I mean, the third episode. Have you have you seen have you watched it? Yeah. Oh my I'm God. I'm about to dive into it tonight though. Oh my god. I mean, you haven't been threatened by every person in your life. I have. I've been I've been staying <laughs> off of TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> I, the pressure was so great. Like yeah. literally the amount of people that were like, you have to watch the third episode. I was like, okay. And then I got to it and I understood why I was receiving so much pressure as a homosexual. Um now, what, do you wanna do you wanna um, recommend to Saeed your friend's podcast about dating apps? Oh my gosh! Yes. Oh my god! I mean, this is he's, like he's using them. He's actively. Are you really? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I have since January. I'm getting off April first, but I would love what What is this podcast? Please tell us about. It. Um, that's a great question. What is it called now? What the is land, it? Land, land of the Giants. Land of the, land of the Giants. Yes. Okay, um, I have this friend. Her name is Lakshmi, and mm -hmm. I, I love her. First of all, we do writing sprints in the morning. She's not a writer, nice. but we do sprints and we do business stuff, and every morning. Um, 6.30 or 8.30, um, Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, but anyways, Lakshmi had a career in um, uh, the dating apps world. Like uh, She worked at Match, I think, for a little while and other places. I'm not going to remember her, her resume very clearly. Um, she worked at WeWork, and she, then she sort of transitioned out of that. But she is, um, she calls herself a, a, a dating activist, or that's that's Love a it. new thing she's trying out because oh. she truly believes, and this we all know to some extent, those dating apps have one thing that they're interested in, and it's making money. 100%. Don't fool yourself. They're not interested in connecting people. In fact, many of the things that go on there are about keeping people apart, right? Mm -hmm. and, and as a society, they have they have 
really taught us a lot of terrible things, right? Like that there's somebody new just around the corner. Right. Like it's all it's, these options that yeah. seem all, like options. Absolutely, yes. right? People that are that aren't options. Yeah. yeah, people are disposable. Right. Yeah. I mean this. This swiping mm-hmm. right is like the worst yeah, thing that has ever, photo. ever happened to our world. But they like, talk about in the podcast the invention of the swipe. So you've got to listen to this. Yeah, yeah. I just nope. edited literally right now. <laughs> yeah, she's oh, she's fantastic. Edited, yeah. And and what's really sort of like um, blood curdling is when she starts to talk about like the death of hope. She's a, she's an amazing, optimistic, wonderful, incredible person. Yeah. But she is worried that like this is a sign of the times. Is that like and and. Uh, I believe it's the last episode. Did you did you listen to the I one about the, Avatar, whole thing. the Avatar? Oh, that was sad. That was sad. So there is currently a oh company that <clears throat> instead of dating an actual person, you can create an avatar. Is not maybe that's not the right word, but a you can create AI. your boyfriend yeah. or girlfriend in your computer that will then continue to learn about you, and you will be in relationship with that person. And she believes that this will be the next thing. She's she thinks it's not that far off, actually, and and then. Here's the kicker, and I think she said this in the podcast. I don't know. Did she say this in the podcast? Apparently, shit, I'm gonna get in trouble. Maybe. Apparently, one of the, this company, the one that does this and is on the forefront of it, they did like a systems upgrade, and they lost like 50 percent of the people's avatars. So people oh, who had like created shit. these avatars, these relationships shit, Lakshmi. If you told me that in private, I'm so sorry. And now I've said your name very clearly for Oops. everyone to know. <laughs> um. Okay, Bixby, finally, where can people find you online? Where can you find me online? It's like a store. Bixby, <laughs> BixbyElliot.com or I'm at BixPix on Instagram or BixbyElliot on Facebook. And I'm, I am on TikTok, but I don't post on TikTok yet. Okay, yet. Yet. Okay. It's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. All right. Well, Bixby, it's been a pleasure having Hell you yeah. here on Two Writers. Talking shit. Thank you so much for having no, me. Thank you. thank you. And please, out there, subscribe, comment. And tend to your inner garden yes please cultivate it enrich it it. give it some fertilizer yeah the light yeah (laughs) another great episode (laughs) bye 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 Two Writers Talking Shit is an original podcast created by Melanie Mars and Saeed Crumpler. Our producer is Kayla Guest. Our audio engineer is T. Kelly. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you damn well please. All we ask is that you subscribe, rate us five stars, and give us a glowing review. If you're not going to give us five stars or any glowing reviews, then why even log on? Save your rants for an open mic. If you have any questions for us, and I do mean any, you can email us at twowriterstalkingshit at gmail.com. That's the number two, and then writerstalkingshit at gmail.com. See you next episode. Bye.